Hello everybody and welcome to Perspective Season 2, a podcast about the many facets of reality. We are Magdalena and Beatrice and today you're going to listen to Side A of the Art of Letting Go themed episodes. This episode consists in large part of a translation I made of an article written by Sara De Simone published on the online magazine Feministerie in November 2018 and originally entitled Che cosa significa imparare a perdere? Elizabeth Bishop, La poesia e le cose che cadono. Dearest, you talk to me about letting go. Fear of abandonment, people who change, endings, stuff like that. Well, it seems to me that before anything we should make a very important distinction. Because there is a difference between the art of letting go and the art of losing. They are implicated, of course, but it's also more complex than that. Let me tell you about a person who knew very well what losing meant. She knew about it so much that she even wrote a poem about it. The title is, unsurprisingly, One Art, and the poet was Elizabeth Bishop. Now, this particular poet was one of the greatest American poets of the 20th century, and her life was a constellation of losses. Not that any life isn't a constellation of losses. We are, every day, all of us exposed to the disaster of loss, of our own lives, or of other people's even of objects. What changes, if anything, are the different lengths of the streaks loss likes to smudge our lives with, the different degrees of intensity. For some human lives, loss is a constant, principal theme. It plays the rhythm, it holds the texture together. These lives are organized around their own hollows, around absences as some architectures develop and sustain around empty spaces. Elizabeth Bishop was born in 1911 in Massachusetts, and in that same year she lost her father, William, due to illness. It wouldn't be long before she lost, so to say, her mother as well, who was confined in a mental institution and never left its grounds until her death in 1934. Bishop was, therefore, forced to move around and live with several different family members. She lived with her grandparents first, then with an aunt. So her early life was an endless chain of separations and readjustments, lost bounds and new relationships, houses left behind and strange places to get used to. It's also for this reason that once in her twenties, after graduating in literature, Bishop started traveling the world. She visited the whole American continent and then Africa, then Europe, and as she was traveling, moving, she also observed the world. What gave her life, what allowed her to finally discover herself, was this going into the distance and into the unknown, going into this orbit around elsewhere. Moving and decentralizing herself continuously, Bishop learned, loved, squandered the time and energy she needed to lose. She wrote letters, many, and poems, few. She didn't feel productive, though. She was lazy, unruly, 
She said she was a poet by mistake. And in fact, it's only thanks to the constant and motherly support of another extraordinary poet, Marian Moore, that at 35 she can publish her first poetry collection, North and South, in 1946. The longest trip she took was in the 1950s to Brazil. Here, she found a country that confused her and made her happy at the same time, and she also found her great love, the reckless, charismatic architect Lota de Macedo Soares. Both Brazil and Lota seemed to be the necessary counterpoints to Elizabeth. The warm climate, the flavorsome fruits and the tropical flora made the cold and lonely landscapes of her childhood resurface in her mind, as if in contrast. And this is how she was finally able to write about them. In the same way, the fearless, dramatic Lota, so different from her, so shy, quiet and reserved, made her want to stay and allowed her to concentrate on her work as a writer. As a love gift, the Macedo Soares designed for her within her estate in Petropolis a studio of her own, a sort of refuge of white bricks, a space meant and offered as a place for writing, separated from the rest and yet connected with the rest. There couldn't have been a greater gift because Lotha had understood this. It was exactly like this that Elizabeth needed to feel, at home but not at home alone but also together, free but also within connections, distant enough to be close at hand. It's while living in this elsewhere that Bishop won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry in 1955. In the meanwhile, she kept publishing in The New Yorker, and she finally put together, slowly but constantly, her third book of poems, Questions of Travel, which was published in 1962 and was dedicated to the Macedo Soares. But the time of loss, and with that the time of travel, comes back always. After 16 years into this intense relationship, Bishop lost also the Macedo Soares, who killed herself in 1967. And she lost Brazil as well, as she gradually left to go back and live in the States. All this and much more is what accounts for the poem I mentioned, One Art, which was published in the collection Geography Three in 1976. The art in question is not that of literature, but precisely that of losing. This is the poem, One Art, by Elizabeth Bishop. The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost that their loss is no disaster. Lose something every day. Accept the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. Then practice losing farther, losing faster. Places and names and where it was you meant to travel None of these will bring disaster. I lost my mother's watch. And look, my last or next to last of three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. I lost two cities, lovely ones. And faster, some realms I owned 
two rivers, a continent. I missed them, but it wasn't a disaster. Even losing you, the joking voice, a gesture I love. I shan't have lied. It's evident the art of losing's not too hard to master, though it may look like open brackets, write it, closed brackets, like disaster. It's amazing, right? Only when in the list of things lost or losable comes the you, the sublime, painful irony of the poem pauses to point at the crack. And still to say the loss of her beloved, Bishop, first starting expert of loss, uses brackets as if she wanted to reveal where on the page the broken mesh is, where the hole is, circling it with her fingers and writing it because, open brackets, she must write it, close brackets. And so, within the poem's lines, the beloved never stops being lost but is partially retrieved in its writability. So you see, Elizabeth Bishop gives us the words to say what we couldn't be able to name otherwise. Because how do you name emptiness? How can a mouth articulate it? How can you place your finger on something that will vanish? Especially if the point isn't only to say its presence, but especially to say its absence. Say all the syllables of the fall, of the dissolving. Elizabeth Bishop, master in the art of losing, was able to do it. But is it possible to learn to lose? Is it a skill, a knowledge that one can acquire over time, loss after loss after loss? Of course not. The irony Bishop employs to write about it clarifies this well. It's not an instructions manual nor philosophical journey. There is no wisdom to aspire to, no balance to achieve. What Elizabeth Bishop shows us is rather a possible attitude, a way to look and to live through pain. We will not love what we love less because we have lost it, nor will we live in the constant, paralyzing anguish of loss. Be it losing an object we were fond of, or leaving a house we grew and learned in, or a country we'll never go back to, or a dream that has nourished us, or a love that we'll never be able to revive, it will always be a disaster. But it's a disaster we can live through if we let ourselves travel it from one end to the other, and let it travel us. There is no doctrine, Bishop knew this well, that can teach us how to let go of things when it is time. And accepting to lose means always, also, to accept to feel lost. And yet, it is exactly because she has let herself be traveled by emptiness that she was able to give space to emptiness to write the poem. The truest word comes alive and breathes and moves into that hollow. Without the hollow to welcome it and embrace it, the truest word can never be. For this reason, Bishop never made the mistake to believe herself uninterrupted, and rather exposed the cracks and celebrated the subtractions. With her and with her poems, we will perhaps be able to stammer our own losses as well. 
try to say them, allow ourselves to feel without compromises a bewildering emotion that Rainer Maria Rilke talked about in his tenth elegy, the emotion that almost overwhelms us whenever a happy thing falls. And this is not because there is a fascination for tragedy or because learning to give up is a sign of nobleness. It is sometimes, but this is not the point. It is only because things are what they are and things fall. To see them fall will always be a disaster, but also a deep emotion, therefore a transformation. How can that transformation begin, you'll ask me? Well, you know me. The only thing I could answer is through kindness. There is a poem by Naomi Shihab Nye entitled Kindness, which, what a coincidence, begins like this. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you. How he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. What I want to say is that sometimes you need to let go of the things you lose. Because they are lost anyway. Because life needs to go on. Because you can be dead when you're dead. But that doesn't mean that they're lost in you as you think they are. This is the whole point of this long and boring letter to you. The wonderful Ella Frances Sanders once wrote, Letting go can look like a wide, if not endless, variety of things. It often takes the shape of weather, or movement, or snapping, of silence, or early mornings, or time. Occasionally, it can even look like holding on, which isn't helpful when you're trying to explain how it was that you let go. Ezra Pound, in his 81st Canto, rephrased this exact same concept when he wrote, What thou lovest well remains, the rest is dross. 
What thou lovest well shall not be reft from thee. What thou lovest well is thy true heritage. Eric Emmanuel Schmidt used an even smaller number of words to say the exact same thing. What you give is yours forever. What you keep is lost for all time. But perhaps what I really wanted to say, my dearest, the only thing I could ever tell you about letting go, the four words that summarize this long letter to you are something John Steinbeck once wrote to his son in the letter about love. Nothing good gets away. No loss, no geography, no character change, no life choice matters. Nothing good gets away. And that's the only thing you need to hold on to. With all my love, hey. You just listened to Side A of the Art of Letting Go themed episodes on Perspective Podcast. Our theme music and the background music of this episode are by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. To contact us, write us an email at ourperspective.podcast.gmail.com or find us on Facebook slash ourperspective.podcast or you can follow us on Tumblr where you can read the transcript of the episode. It's perspectivepodcast.tumblr.com. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week for Side B of the Art of Letting Go themed episodes.